Matthew 24, verse 15 to 28. Therefore, when you see the, the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. For those who are in Judea must flee to, to the mountains. Whoever is on the, the housetop must not go down to get the things out of that are in the house. Whoever in the field must not turn back to get his cloak, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that you will fight, that your flight will not be in the, in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless these days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is in the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not, do not go out, or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the light, lightning comes from the east and flashes from the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Father, I pray that you be with Roger, um, that your spirit will be upon him. Um, impart through Roger to us what's on your heart, um, what you want this, the message of this, these verses to convey, Lord. You are an amazing Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you're still enjoying our pursuit through the book of Matthew. Anybody? Uh, not very encouraging. If I repeat some of the things that Debbie's bound to have said to you last week, it isn't because I have no confidence in what she's got to say. I have every confidence in it. It's simply that it is a very complex chapter that we're dealing with. In fact, two chapters in this area, which is the fifth great block of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's called sometimes the eschatological sermon. That is just to confuse those of us who don't read Greek because eschatology is just a Greek way of saying the last days, the last things. And these last things are all wrapped up together and they're very complicated. And so we're going to touch into these areas again I may say some of the things Debbie said, but repetition is the best way of education. I'm sure you realize that, though we don't do it anymore, but nonetheless it's still the best. 
Now I want to uh, bring out three sets or three pairs of things and then a little bit of alliteration, desolation, deception and descent. Those will come up later on. Don't, uh, we don't want them up yet because, oh, those are pretty small, aren't they? Is that, those are some animals there. It's interesting, isn't it? Oh, well, there's a flash of lightning from one end of heaven to the other. Anyway, so if you've got the text available as we go along, you might find it useful because there, first of all, are two questions The first question that covers and governs these two chapters is when will these things be referring to the destruction of the temple? You remember Jesus had got up and walked out of the temple and left it behind and had reminded them as much as I wanted to gather you under my wings, you wouldn't. Now your house is left to you, your temple is left to you desolate. And he leaves it because nothing else can be done to it. Sometimes God has to leave things because nothing more can be done to them. And the second, and as he, these two things, perhaps I ought to just earmark more clearly. One is the destruction of the temple. The other is the end of the age. And the coming again of our Lord Jesus. And those, those two things, those two questions, are on the lips of the disciples at the very beginning when they say, when shall these things, got it? These things, get hold of that. When shall these things be? That's the destruction of the temple. And what shall be or when shall be the end of the age and of the parousia? That's just another bit of Greek to confuse us all but it means the coming and the remaining of Jesus. There are other, use, other words for coming, but this is a technical one for the coming and remaining of the Messiah, the parousia, the coming of Jesus. So there's the destruction of the temple and the coming of Jesus, which is attached to and the end of the age. So two questions. And they get mixed up together as we go through these two chapters. And that's why it's so complicated. And we've got to be careful, a little bit meticulous in the way that we handle the text. Are you ready for a little bit of meticulous handling of the text? Because you want to know. And we want to get to the truth. The second thing is, there are two ends that we're going to be dealing with. One is the end of the Jewish age, and the beginning of, and the end eventually, of the world evangelization. The end of the Jewish age meant now the Gentiles are coming in to the good things of God. But that will come to an end when the end of the age takes place. So there are two ends. Got the idea? And that two ends are sometimes mixed up and we say, Are we dealing with the end of the Jewish age and, incidentally, the end of the temple? Or are we dealing with the end of the age, or some people say the end of the world, and Jesus coming again? Which one are we dealing with? Well, they're all mixed up too. 
And not only that, there are lots of ideas that people have got from other parts of the Bible which get mixed up with trying to sort out these different questions, these two different ends, and they are the, uh, to do with the coming, the comings of Jesus. <clears throat> because we know that when Jesus comes again, he'll come on the clouds and so on, and he'll bring the saved who've died and be raised again, he'll bring them with him, and we shall be forever together with the Lord. That's very clearly Paul teaches in Thessalonians. But uh, the bringing the, ch- the saints with him is one sort of coming. And there's also a coming of coming to the throne of God. And some people get these mixed up. And very popularly they get mixed up. And you're going to get popularly mixed up with it next week. When you read about the coming in the clouds, you might think, oh, it's Jesus coming. No, it's not. It's Jesus coming to the throne of God and the sign in heaven and the destruction which is falling on the city of Jerusalem. It's the coming of God in judgment in the days of our Lord's life and the end of his life of course that time and it's something where God is sorting out the problems of the earth and then there's the coming at the end of the age so there's a coming and the first coming in the clouds is going into heaven Daniel chapter 7 and then there's another coming it's the coming in the clouds and it's the end of the age and they get mixed up too now sorry I hope by now you're getting mixed up Yes, because that's exactly what has happened. And people, they read, whenever they see Jesus coming in clouds, they think it must be the second coming. It is not. It's the Jesus coming into the heavens. But we'll leave that until next week. And who's preaching next week? Steve. Steve will then take that up and he'll explain it all to you. <laughs> so what we're doing today is looking at the passage that was read to us, verses 15 through to 28. And in that, the three things I've mentioned are very clear. That in this age, there's going to be what is called the abomination of the desolation. That sort of rolls off the tongue quite nicely, doesn't it? You try it? The abomination of the desolation. Can you try it? Just say it to each other. Yes. Now don't use that tube when you get angry with somebody. But uh, they may be abominable, but that's another question. This is the abomination which makes desolate, desolates things. Way back before Jesus came in uh, B.C. 60. B.C. 167. B.C. 167. The Greeks had taken over in this area, well, some of the Greeks anyway. The Greek Empire had broken up, and the Seleucides had taken over the area in which Israel was a part. And they were forcing their ideas upon the people. They didn't say, you can have them if you want, and if you don't, do your own thing. He said, everybody's got to do what we do. Everybody's got to think like we think. Have you heard that before? 
Do you think ever happens in this country? Yeah. And everybody was being forced to be made like each other, think like each other, do... In the end, it was all that they were obeying their dictator. And uh, dictators are like that. And this was a terrible time for Israel. And it got to its very height when an abominable thing happened. It's mentioned in the book of Daniel, actually. The abomination, which an abomination is always something to do with an idol, something as a false worship, something that takes the place of God. And in these days, the abomination which desolated the whole of Israel was that a man called Antiochus Epiphanes, but they, have you got that name? Antiochus Epiphanes. Would you say to each other, Antiochus Epiphanes? Now you know with a name like that he can't be up to any good, can he? <laughs> Antiochus and Epiphanes, they made fun of him. They called him Antiochus Epimenes. Epimenes, which is that he was, um, you know, half-witted. But don't bother too much about that. They just, that's what they said behind his back. But he was doing this dictatoring. He was dictating to the people of Israel, other places too, and he was forcing them to think like he thinks. He was imposing his ideas on them. The culture of the Greeks was beginning to erode all the good things that the Jews had been taught and were meant to carry so that they not only would be blessed and carry the glory of God, but that they might be a light to the nations. That's why God chose the Jews, in order they might bless everybody else. They didn't always do that, but that's what they were for. And Epimenes, <laughs> Antiochus, he's imposing everybody to think like he thinks. And everybody was being cultured with a culture which was against the things of God. You see how relevant this passage is as to where we're at today. Do I have to spell it out? Or are you, all of you so well aware do you bother to listen to the news? Do you bother to think about what's going on? Of course you do. And it's just like that. We are, the things of God are being destroyed in Israel by Antiochus. The things of God are being destroyed today in our society by those who are in government and threatening us if we don't conform to their thinking. Terrible things. And so it's presumably always been the same. Sometimes it's a bit easier, sometimes it's a bit less. Sometimes the things of God take precedence and then they disappear again. And uh, we've just got to be aware that God is still at work and still go on trusting him in these situations. And Antiochus got an idol and it was an idol to Zeus, the chief god of the Greeks, and he put it in the very altar in the middle of the temple of Israel. Well, that was about the last word for some of them. They couldn't stand it. And the only thing they could think of doing is using force to try and destroy it. And this was so offensive, so offensive, they rose up, and the Maccabees, as they were called, followed their leader, and they attacked the Greeks, and they tried to throw them, and then eventually they won. And for about a 90 years, the Jews were freed from the dominance, 
from the power that was seeking to culturize them into the negativism of pagan worship and idolatry. And at last the things of God began to show themselves again. And of course beautifully, <coughs> after 167 years, the things of Jesus began to appear. Jesus was born and begins to grow. And then he goes to the cross and he shows the things of God once again. And he sums up all that Israel was meant to be. To be a light to the Gentiles. And to be the glory of the, all that God was doing. The glory of my people Israel. And so the glory and the light shine again. In all their fullness when Jesus came. But you see, because that had happened back in the past, <clears throat> it was a useful way of uh, warning the people in the present. And a useful thing of warning people today. And that's exactly what the scripture is doing here. Using the old experience and updating it in a sense to make us ready and alert with what's happening now. Because the same thing was beginning to happen. And eventually the Jews again rose up in uh, anger and the destruction of Israel was just around the corner. However, the abomination which makes desolate was that thing that happened in the temple on the altar when idolatry was brought into the temple and an idolatrous image was placed in a place where only God really should be and should sit and should be expected. So if people went to the temple, instead of finding God there, they found an idol. Do you go to church and you don't find God there, you find something else? Do you find uh, another culture there? Do you find something which isn't really what God is seeking to teach us? It's very sad when that happens. But if I was the devil, that's what I'd do to confuse everybody. Uh-huh. I would put something in the place where people come thinking they're going to find what God's like. And instead they find something else. And instead of finding the glory, instead of finding the light, they find darkness and confusion. It's the abomination which makes desolate. Do you think we've got any abomin abominable desolating going on today? Well, I can see one head nodding. Are you asleep? <laughs> we are in a place where always we must be alert and ready to find what God really is like and what God is really saying it's a full time job you know I don't mean to say you shouldn't do your daily work but I mean it's something where we should be at work all the time you see when you read the Bible and you get rather excited about it Chris and you were telling us a bit about that this morning, what you're doing is you're trying to find out what God's like and what God's saying. And that means pushing back, and it takes us by surprise sometimes. Why, this is wonderful, and I'm reading here. Yeah, well, you haven't read the Bible enough recently, have you? Well, if you did, you would be in the place where you were not being brainwashed by the culture of the age. You were being filled with the spirit of the living God. That's what we need, isn't it? In order to be able to understand. And so as we read through this passage, we see some of the similar effects. Something similar was happening today 
in this period that we're reading about. The Romans <coughs> were trying to push the Jews and the Christians with them into their mould. And they were suffering for it. And the, uh, the, the first thing that begins to go is that we start to think about God in a wrong way. We start to think about God in a wrong way. We start to get all tied up with the complications and things. This complicated passage we're dealing with is a little bit like, if you sort it out properly, like looking at the score of an orchestra. Now, if you took it apart, you say, <coughs> these bits here is when the, when, when the violins start. And that belongs to the violins. And, uh, oh, there's a little sign over here. Ah, there's a bit here for the brass. And there's the instrument in the brass. And then, well, there's some, something here. Ah, this is the, the, these are the flautists. That's just a posh way of saying somebody plays a flute. Here's the flautist bit. And you put all these different... And it's an awful lot. And they all get mixed up together. And when they get mixed up together and they all play together, it's rather beautiful, isn't it? And if we can sort out these different sections, you know, timpani over here, brass over there, strings over here, and you put it all together, you start to see there's a beautiful orchestration taking place. And that beautiful orchestration is seen in two parts. The first part, running from verse 3 through to verse, uh, where we, not quite where we finished today, but to verse 34, 5, 35, you'll find again and again and again, are you listening carefully? You'll find it says, when you see, and when you go, and when your thing takes place, it's all going on in the immediate generation that is happening way back in those days. And then you start to read other bits and it doesn't say anything about you and they why well, because they won't be there anymore. When Jesus comes again, all the apostles have died, haven't they? And so have everybody else who've been listening to Jesus. But where you spot that it's saying you, 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 that is what's happening in the first century. When you can't find any you, 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 you's, you just hear stories and parables. It's all to do with Jesus coming again. But that's plain and straightforward, except every now and again, there's another bit thrown in. And this good news of the gospel as we preach in all the world, then the end will come. Oh, now we've suddenly gone to the end times, but I thought this was to do with the first bit. And you find that the little snippets of the coming again, the second question, start to arise all the way along the older bit, <laughs> the bit which is all going to happen during the lifetime of the apostles or some, some of the people who heard Jesus. Do so you see the difference between the two? The first section, all in the century, the first century of the gospel. Second bit, all around the area when Jesus comes again. At the end of the age and at his parousia, when he comes and remains and is with us here on earth. Those two areas now are beginning to become a little bit clear. Oh, I can hear the violins now. I thought it was just the tune and anybody. Would, oh, no, it's the violins. 
Uh, oh, and here begins the brass. And you can sort it out like you do sometimes when you're listening to an orchestra. You got it? It is complicated. But you can find the bits if you're patient. If you begin to attune your ears. If you're careful in interpreting. Okay? Well now, what's the time? How are we doing? Let's have a look here. <clears throat> the three things in the text... Well, you, that difference that I mentioned, look at verse, um, verse 26. If therefore they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go... <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, that's very simple. <laughs> thank you very much. Do not go forth into the wilderness. Don't go into the secret places because uh, he's not there. People are coming to say that they are Christ. In verse 27, just as the lightning comes from what from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall be the coming. The, that's the technical word for Jesus coming and remaining, the parousia. So shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the, cop, the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. That's the second coming that's being mentioned there. It's all happening in this first part where Jesus is talking, but suddenly of the, what's happening in the first century, he suddenly shoots over into when he comes again. And therefore we are beginning to sort out which bit belongs to what bit. And uh, the main parts we've been reading all belong to the first century. Now we've seen a bit that belongs to Jesus coming again. So that's the sort of picture that we're trying to unravel. Now the first thing is the result from this passage we've been reading is that your house, Jesus said, when he left the temple... And they say, oh, what a wonderful temple. Isn't it marvelous? He said, all this will come down. Not one stone will stay on another. The desolations begin. The false worship, the apostasy amongst the Jews, the fact that they killed the Savior. Of course, the first church was all Jewish, but they were opposed by their fellow Jews. And they killed Jesus and Therefore, they were going against the ways of God. Desolation begins. Have you noticed when you're out of sorts with God, desolations enter into your life? Disturbances? Things you can't really handle? Things you feel like giving up? Desolations are because God takes his hand off. It's not that he comes along and gives you a biff, but he can't keep his hands on you because he has given us the ability to oppose who he is and what he does. And he takes his hands off us. God takes his hands off nations. He takes his hands off continents. He takes his hands off uh, people. He takes his hands off various movements. It's a sad thing. Desolation has come in. And it disturbs people. And it's destructive. I don't want desolations in my life, do you? 
But it says that your house is left to you desolate. And it says that desolation, the abomination that makes desolate. Something's gone wrong. If you're feeling desolate this morning, cry out to God, turn to him straight away and say, Lord, keep your hand on me. I need your hand on me. I need you to guide me. I need you to supply my needs. I need you to touch my life. I need you to fill me with your spirit. Keep your hand on me, Lord. And then desolations are brought into order. And the pains are relieved. And we begin to move along with God again. It's a warning note when we feel desolated. And desolation, of course, also means you feel very, very alone. You feel very, very by yourself. I'm desolate. I'm desolate. The abomination which makes desolate is the result of where God has to take his hand off because an idol has come in. There is an idolatrous movement taking place. And God cannot get done in your life what he wants to get done. The answer to it was very simple. Cast yourself on God and cry out to him and tell him you weren't right. You didn't have it right. You want your help. We want God's help. We need his help. Can't do without you, Lord. I've been trying to do without you. Doesn't work. It's all gone wrong. So desolation is the first thing. Has that gone up? No, yeah, there. The second thing is, false Christ come along in this culture. You begin to say, well, where is Christ? What is Christ like? Well, he's not really like it says in the New Testament. He's all lovey-dovey or he's a great bully or whatever it is. You get a misunderstanding of what Jesus is like. And there are false powers at work. There are spiritual forces which try to take the place of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Are you aware of that? Some people think, oh, I got converted 40 years ago and I did, prayed the sinner's prayer and here I am in Ixus this morning. I'm not looking at anybody. <laughs> but you are as, we, I am, as equally in danger of being deceived that means I've got to keep putting myself back in the Lord's hands. Lord, keep your hand on me. Lord, you guide me. Lord, keep me. And to live under the hand of God. To live in the place where he is everything in everything that we are and that we're doing. There are deceiving forces at work. You can be deceived. Have you ever been deceived? Of course we have. We all have. Somebody's deceived us. But it's the protection that we need is to be safe from deception. We can't even, we're not clever enough to write erudite books and even bring in all sorts of wonderful things that look a bit like Jesus. And there are plenty of those books around today. People who say they're Christian atheists. Could you believe it? Christian atheists. There are. And they, they're all very nice people, so they think. But they're being deceived. And I can be deceived. You can be deceived. Lord, save us from deception. We need to pray it. We need to be aware that it's possible. 
And so there are these Christs who are out in the wilderness and all go running out in the wilderness. They're over here. Some people spend all their life running around, going from one thing to the next, another preacher here, another one there, and sometimes no preacher at all, looking for another Christ. The biblical Christ is easily found. You can keep that Bible in your pocket and read it wherever you are. It's that one that we need to know. Lord, teach me your truth. Show me your way. That is a regular prayer that we should pray so that we're not misled. We're not deceived because deceiving spirits have gone forth. Are you hearing me? Do you believe me? That's the truth of the matter. Deception is always a possibility. So Lord, help us. And then I've put this word, descent. The descent of our Lord when he comes again. It's a wonderful thing that the Lord's coming again. I love this particular expression of it from Charles Wesley, which if I put my Methodist hymn book the right way up, I can read it. Lo, he comes with clouds. Here is the second coming. It's not what you're going to read next week, but it's what it's going to look like and why it gets confused with what you're going to read next week. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Once for favoured sinners slain. Thousand, thousand saints attending. He's bringing the saints with him. Swell the triumph of his, of his train. Hallelujah. God appears on earth to reign. Yes, amen, let all adore him. High on his eternal throne. Saviour, take the, your power and glory. Claim the kingdom for your own. Hallelujah. Everlasting God, come down. Everlasting God, come down. That is the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the age. The parousia, like lightning, shooting from one end to the other. We'll see the light, we'll see the glory. Is there anything we have to do about that? I think there is. I don't think we just sit there and wait and one day the Lord's coming again. You know the Lord's coming again, don't you? I don't have to teach you that. You know it. He's coming. But I, I believe that we have to do something. We have to pray, your kingdom come. We've got to pray. We've got to live as though the kingdom's here already. And practice it. We, pr- we pray for it. We practice it now. It's no good uh, hating the saints and tripping one another up and despising one another. We're all here to be loved and cared for, aren't we? Amen. Yes. Even Bruce. <laughs> you do love him, don't you? Come on. <laughs> Thank you. Because we're here to live the kingdom before it comes. And that will make it come. Do you think God wants to come and force himself on a load of people who don't want him and don't want his ways at all? 
Somebody's got to want him. And then we've got to preach the good news in all the world. We read that one, we've had it already. Preach, preach the good news. Pray, preach, practice. See, I've got it all alliterated. The next one's difficult. Penitence, because I couldn't say repentance. We've got to keep living repentant lives. Give us this day our daily bread and then forgive us our trespasses. Well, you want bread every day, don't you? Daily bread. Well, you've got trespasses every day, haven't you? Well, cough them up. Give them back to the Saviour to get rid of. Forgive us our sins. And then, perhaps above anything else, passion. What have we got to do for that coming again, of seeing the Lord come in glory, seeing him come with all the resurrected saints? What have we got to do? I love him out of heaven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. Of course you can love your neighbours yourself after that, but you start loving God, you're on the right track. Loving God. Does the Lord want to come and set up his kingdom with people who don't want him, who are not going to live his way, who are always going to go in opposite directions, who never repent, etc., etc., etc. I don't have to repeat it. I've gone on long enough. you got the idea. Jesus is coming again. There will be a descent from heaven. It's not the one you're going to read about next week. But the descent from heaven is what God has promised us. That the almighty God will bring his eternal throne and it will be established in a new heaven and a new earth. It's coming to earth to put it all straight. I want him to touch my life on earth now in order that he may be really used to it when he touches my heart and he comes again and brings heaven to earth. Are you in for that? Yes. I'm in for it too. I want to be there. When the, well, we want to sing the saints come marching in if you like. I want to be there on that day. I want to be there when Jesus comes again and he shines right across like a flash of lightning. Nobody can miss it. He's come and we are very grateful that there is a new earth coming and that we're going to reign there and he's going to reign there forever. Are you happy about that? Well, just thank him for it. Now, from your hearts and enjoy the kingdom's coming. Amen. Amen.